Thank you for choosing this Dream Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. Now, today we're going to be talking about um, something which I never personally thought I would ever speak about. Because it's not something that I would naturally, in the flesh, ever think about speaking about. Ever. But miracles happen. Isn't that good? Isn't it good that we can rejoice that miracles do happen? And this is me testifying that miracles do happen. Right. I have been a person who have, all their lives, generally, lived by logic, the mind, and reasoning. That's my comfort zone. I haven't got an awful lot, but sometimes what goes on in there actually works. But then God says to me, he says, you know, it's not right that. It's not right because the, the issue is this. The issue is you can have all the capacity of the mind that you want. But if you haven't got the capacity elsewhere to follow it through, what have you got before God? Yeah. Nothing. Let me tell you, God does not rate intelligence. Let's put that one to one side. Is he bright? I think so. Does he need people with good intelligence? Yes, of course we do, because we've got to live and we've got to invent and we've got to do things. But he is the creator God. So if he needs things there, he'll sort them out. Now, what I'm going to be talking about is a little bit like the comparison of Kevin talking about buying a Windows device. Or Pastor Tony talking about Manchester United in a positive sense. Or even my beloved Shirley talking about 11 or 12 string dimensional uh, string theory. Right? The only thing I know about string theory is, is I don't like hairy string. I prefer the smooth stuff. And that's about, that's about it. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the issue of the heart. I'm talking about the emotions. I'm not talking about love. I'm just talking about the heart. I'm talking about... My title for today is The Power of One, The Problem of Two. What do I mean? Well, what happens when your heart is broken? When anything's broken, it's in more than one piece. All right? Is that the way God made us? No. They should always be whole. They should always be one. When two people get married, what happens? The two become One. When we give our lives to Christ, we become one with him. Okay? So, what happens? Well, lots of things happen to break a heart. But for this, to get this ball rolling, let's start off by saying, what happens when we divide our hearts is because, like, for example, we go before God, like we just have in worship, right? When you're in that point of worship, that point of divine exchange, you'll give God anything, won't you? Because it's wonderful to be in his presence. And everything is worth it. And then the meeting closes and then you go off to work and all of a sudden that's gone. You do something different. Well, is that right? No. It's not, is it? So what happens there is, who do we grieve? Well, we grieve our heart if we actually, we, if we actually think about it. And we have those moments, perhaps I'm sure, when we have our little quiet times when we go, oh God, I'm sorry, oh God, I'm really sorry. But more importantly and this is what Kevin was referring to, is that we grieve the Father's heart because he wants us. That that, These moments of intimacy we have, he wants us to be always there, permanently there, to have that presence always. We don't give him that attention always, do we? All right. So maybe what I'm going to be bringing you today is a message of hope, but with all hope, is a challenge yeah otherwise it's not hope is it hope is that which is unseen but what I'm going to bring you with today is a challenge but overriding all of that there is a message of hope all right now if we look at this year we think about that this has been a tumultuous year and especially I'll be honest for me why for several reasons the first one is on December the 17th it'll be the last time I actually had a trip overseas which for the last 18 months, two, three, four years, has never happened. I've always, in my work, I've always been traveling a huge amount, and I've usually traveled to, you know, last year I was more out of the country than I was in the country, it seemed. This year, I've hardly been out of the house, let alone out of the country. 
And that's just the way it's been. It's been a tumultuous change there. And I've got to say, that was a challenge to me because I don't like that. I've always been a person that's been here, there, everywhere, doing this, doing that, doing the other. And that's not been this year. So that's been a challenge. But also what's happened is in the house, I think since we've had the the event with uh, Pastor Peter and Pastor Karen back in February, what we've learned from that, if anything, is if it can be challenged, it will be challenged. And that's been good. Because what we've seen, and I think today's been a fantastic um, event in 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 the life of the house, to actually see all that information, all that resource available, that is unbelievable. It is. You've really got to get into your spirit just how amazing that, that, I don't call it technology, but that information, that is tapping into the heart of God really is good stuff and that's come out so training has been one of the key things that came out of that visit fathering's been one of the key things that came out of it accountability being made accountable for our own actions not before the pastor or the elders but to someone we trust so that we can actually have a developing relationship so when we feel that we're a a little bit unbalanced or a bit out of kilter we can go and see him so loads of things have happened And one of the things that I think that pastor said that spoke to me a lot, and he says it quite a few times, is how little leeway now God gives him in terms of his walk. The path is getting narrower. The ability to actually say on Sunday and do on Monday, no, no, no. What he says on Sunday, he has to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And these are where the issues come in. Right? Because these are things that we have to accommodate in our life. If we have made a decision to rise up to the challenge that God has placed before us, which, as, as, as Kevin was saying, and, and Pastor said before, which is the whole of Europe, we've got to rise up to that challenge. It's a conscious decision. And now, if you rise up to that challenge that you want to do what God wants, and if you want to go where God wants you to go, and you want to do what God wants you to do, it's a conscious challenge. It's a decision. That's the first thing. And that's why I'm saying today is about challenge. And so I made the decision this year to actually do whatever it needed in order for me to be able to do whatever God needed. So what did that mean? I had to change my lifestyle. And it so happened that this year was the year that God decided to take me off the road and park me in number 10 Grovewood Close, where I've been. Now, if he hadn't have done that, would I have done the same thing? I don't know. But as it wasn't an issue I have to think about, who cares? I made, a, I made a decision to change my lifestyle to fit in with what God wanted. That's the price I was prepared to pay. Now, when we're talking about emotions and stuff, right, let me tell you now, I don't get emotions as a rule. I'm not an emotional person. When I watch the telly, you know, one of the worst things for me is to actually get a good program on the telly, like Murdoch Mysteries or Bones or something like that. And then it's a great one because it's, it's all a science and it's the investigation, it's the detection, and that's great. And then they bring in the love story. Then they bring in the emotional stuff, the colour, and I hate it, with a complete passion. <laughs> and even though I've gone through a lot of transformational this year inside of me, I still don't like that stuff, Right? Women, you love it. I can't stand it. But that's just, that's just the way it is. That's the great thing between men and women. I like that bit, they like that bit. End of. Will you ever get me watching Downton Abbey? No. No, sorry. Not a chance. <laughs> I've softened, but I'm not stupid. I'm still a bloke. I've got to say it straight on. I don't know many blokes that watch Downton Abbey, and I don't want a show of hands. All right, so what's the problem of two? I'll go on about the power of one later if we can. But we've already seen that what God wants us to be before him is one with him. And so what's the problem of two? Well, the problem of two is when people, right, here we go. How many times have we had prophetic words over us that says, you've got a decision to make in your life. Or there's a storm coming and you need to be prepared, right? The problem comes when we get to that junction and we try and go both ways. You can't. Can you really? You're one person. But you try. Or you know there's a storm coming and you'll do everything to get out of the way of that storm. You will do anything. I don't want to go through bad times. 
I like the good times, Lord. Thank you very much. So what do you do? You compromise. And you try and do something you were never designed to do. Alright? So, and that revolves around one thing. It revolves around the issue of the heart. Where is your heart really focused? Now, so if we have an issue of the heart, and if we're talking, as we have been doing for the last couple of months, about power, if you've not got one heart before God, for all the reasons that pastor said about, you know, the church in Sinai and going to church in actual church, all them good reasons, if your own heart is not in alignment with God, how can you have power? Because he can't trust you. It's as simple as that. You're compromised. And that is the, the real issue. You're compromised. You're torn. You've got divided loyalties. You've compromised your righteousness. So how does this happen? Lots and lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons. And I'm not going to go through all of them. Because what's the point? I've got time. And you've got to do some homework, for goodness sake. But what... I want to get across first of all is that a lot of the times that we make these decisions, they're not conscious decisions against God or against what he wants. Often, we're not even making that decision for us. Often, they are because we want to protect those near us. Yeah? We want to protect the ones we love. Our children, our partners, our loved ones. So sometimes we compromise without realising we're compromising. We're doing what we think is best in our own ways. But unfortunately, what that means is that we don't have the trust in him. And so when we make a decision which compromises our righteousness, we are actually causing a division of balance. And you have to have balance between you and God. He trusts you, do you trust him? And when you don't trust him, and you make a decision, which is a compromised decision, that trust is gone. So that's one of the key reasons why you'll never get power. Because he can't trust you. We can never see the bigger picture. You get that, don't you? Because we're not God. And we can only ever see what's going on at that moment. Yeah? And so when challenges come to us, and our hearts feel like they're breaking, we're human. We're human. We can't see, though, the consequences of those actions that we make. We can see what happens. We can try and imagine. We can look at both sides and we can say we're doing this and we can say we're doing that. But unless we've got the heart and the mind of God on it, we're making that tiny, tiny little decision. You see, it's, 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 it's a human thing, isn't it? Paul says in Romans 7, I don't do what I want to do. I do the evil I don't want to do. It's a part of the human condition, which he's given us an answer to, but we'll come on to later. So it's an issue of righteousness, and it's an issue of the heart, and it's an issue of compromise. All right. Now, um, if, let's just do a little bit of a definition of, of what, is, what is righteousness. All right? Okay. Um, David's gone. I'm not going to hear that typing. Who's not going to? Uh, David, come here, fella. I'm going to just give you a kind of, David, you. Go on, go on, fella. You don't have to do anything, so don't worry. All right. Righteousness, this is how I understand righteousness. Righteousness is you having right standing before God, right? So if David's God, right? If I'm in righteousness with God, David's looking at me as God, and I'm looking at David, and there you've got, he's looking in my eyes, I'm looking in his. That's where we were before. Yeah? We were glimpsing that. You have to have that righteousness. Right? But hey, I've got, I've got divided loyalty. So in actual fact, he's looking fully into me. But I'm kind of like looking down a bit. Occasionally glancing up. But I'm not, in a, I'm not living in a presence where my eyes are constantly looking into the eyes of my father. Or into the eyes of my saviour. Right? Now... If your heart gets compromised beyond a certain point, what actually starts to happen is your whole body angle starts moving away from him. This is backsliding. And if your heart is torn too much, you tear away. That's the compromise of righteousness. You don't see eye to eye with your father. And that's 
in a nutshell, what happens? How many times, thank you, David, come and sit down. How many times when our kids have been younger and you've said, what have you just done? Nothing. Nothing, Dad. Nothing, Dad. Nothing, Dad. But they can't look you in the face. Yeah? How many times have you actually told them to do something? Oh, it's not even that. You know, sometimes what happens is you give them advice. You give them advice. You advise. Look, don't do that because it's not such a great idea because. But they still do it, don't they? They still do it. Now, before we get into that little bit, I'm going to give you another little illustration. You know, in, in, in Revelations, it says, um, behold, anybody knocks at the door, yeah? If anybody hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in and sit and I will dine with him. And he, with me, he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. All right. How many doors? One. He knocks on the door. So how many hearts should he have? One. So how many doors, though, when your father looks at or when Jesus looks into you, how many doors does he see? How many doors does he see in your life? Because what we try and do is we try and compartmentalize our lives, don't we, sometimes? You have a heart that is, that's how I'm going to be at work. That's how I'm going to be on Monday. That's how I'm going to be on Sunday, because that's been like my Sunday heart. Because I'm going to be full of righteousness on that day. This is how I am with my kids. This is how I am with my wife. Now, there was, there was, it was one of these things at work. I'll give you a quick story. Um, at work, we used to, in, in, when you're going into, uh, you know, you need a different part of the business to get engaged. Uh, to do with commercial finance or servicing or maintenance. Or... There's always a front door. There's always a front door. Oh, if you go through the front door, give them your needs. They'll give you all the information you need and they'll sort it all out here. And I was doing a bid at one point And there was, it was like I was, I was in front of our board, which is quite senior guys. And I went and banged on the doors, uh, banged on the wall that was right, because they had this whiteboard, and I was actually doing this. And, right, okay, so I've gone to service, and I've gone to their front door, and I've gone to and I've gone to their front door, and I've gone to here, and I've gone to their front door, and I banged it, and I said, you've got more front doors than B&Q. And I said, what are you supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Which is the front door that I, that, where's the truth? And that is exactly how God looks at us and says, which is the real one? Which is the real one? Let me look properly. Now, you see, what have we got? Do we have different parts of our lives? Of course, we have different parts of our lives, but one heart. So, whether it's work, play, whether it's, you know, church, or whether it's the people we love, whether it's our friends, it comes out of the one heart. It's just different parts of it. Not a completely different attitude, not a completely different way of expressing ourselves, not different principles. And not different levels of righteousness. It's one heart. One righteousness. One set of values. His ways, his will, his word. Everything stems from that. There's only one front door to my house. There's lots of little rooms inside it. But there's only one front door. End of. Now, let me say something else as well. A lot of these issues we do compromise, yeah? We compromise not because of us, but because we're looking after or thinking and trying to do the best we can for those around us and that we, that we love. A lot of these other issues, I wasn't always a Christian, right? I was 20-something when I gave my life to Jesus, 22. What about all the things that went on in the past? Absolutely. All those things that have gone on in the past, how can you talk about compromise righteousness? Well, you can't. Does he know that? Of course he does. Does he hold you accountable? No. Not in that respect. No. Does he condemn us for any of this stuff? No. That's the hope. That's the hope. There is now no condemnation for they that love God and, according to his, and called according to his purposes. No. He doesn't condemn us at all. Who condemns us? The world. Who condemns us? Peer groups, peer pressure, the world systems. Does he condemn us? No. What does he do? He convicts us. That's the massive difference. The world will judge our actions. And let's be dead honest. When you're on the edges, and by edges, what I'm saying here is that we're having to make a set of decisions or a decision that we've never, ever had to make before. We're in unknown territory, so we're on the edge of our experience. We're beyond the edge of our experience. 
So we've got nothing to refer back to, to say, yes, this worked, no, this doesn't. If we are in a situation where we do it the same and we get it wrong, hey, what's called that? That's called stupid. If you're going to make a mistake, make it once. We've said that many times from, from in this house. So what we do is we sometimes create issues for ourselves, which is where we make, we make a decision without really necessarily thinking about it and thinking it through, because we can't, because we're not in that position to do so. Won't be a minute. Guarantee I'm going to drop that bottle in a minute. So, if we get into situations where we're in a bit of a pickle, what do we have to do? Well, sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we can't. Now, I'll give you back. I'll give you about another illustration that Pastor Tony spoke about the last time he was spoken. Do you remember he said that there was um, a situation when the previous pastor left and, and Pastor Tony became the pastor of the house. And then he was in Spain and the Lord said to him, I want you to write a letter. Had he sinned? No. Was he fasting or praying? No. He was away in Spain. Not necessarily on holiday, but it was away in Spain. But the Lord said to him, I want you to write a letter to your previous pastor. And he resisted, did he not? He resisted for about three months, but eventually got there. Okay. And so what happened was he wrote the letter and even Pastor Carol said, do we have to send it? Yes, because he'd, he'd listened to the voice of the Lord and he was convicted and he was following through. He was obedient to that voice. Right. Now, what happened is when he sent that letter, he didn't know what was going to happen with that letter, did he? But what happened was it healed. It was a process of healing. One simple letter. And what did that letter do? We'll never know the full extent of that letter, and I think that was part of what Pastor was saying the last time. But what it did do is it healed the grievance that was left in the previous pastor's heart. There was a hurt there. And if it was in the pastor's, if it was in the other person's heart, guess what? It was in the heart of the father as well. So as a part of this whole movement of righteousness, of being perfect in your relationship, or as good as you can be with before God, had to be put right. But was it condemnation? No, it was conviction. That's how God works. God talks into your heart and his conscience because I should do something about that. If you don't do it, what happens? You just build up that much scar tissue. God says, I can't talk to him in that area. He's not listening. Does the righteousness get healed? No. So you've still got division. So can you look God in the eye? Well, you can look God in the eye as far as you can look God in the eye, but you can only look him in the eye maybe on Sunday, maybe in these events when we're having this corporate intimacy. But will you be able to look him in the eye as a person on your own in your front room when you're having a quiet time or wherever? Probably not as much. Because there is a compromise in there. And God wants that compromise out of the way. So he can bless you more. So he can give you more. That's the issue. If we look in at Bible, all right, we see a similar example in the prodigal son. Right? Did what the prodigal son do create a legal problem? Was it sin in that world, in that term? No, he just took his money early and ran. What he did do was dishonor his father, really. So that's one of the biggies, isn't it? Dishonor your mother and don't dis- yeah, honor your mother and father, so you will have long life. All right. But he was, that was the issue. He didn't actually sin as such. There was no kind of, you know, you have to kill three fatted calves and two pigeons. And that's, but what he did was he compromised his relationship with his father. That's what we do. He wanted something because he wanted the short-term gain, didn't he? He just wanted the money now. Thank you very much. I'm fed up with this. I want that. I'm off. Did it work? No. He grieved his father's heart because his father knew what would happen because he knew his son. But he still did it anyway. And that's what our kids sometimes do, don't they? They grieve us. We give them best advice. You try and bring them up the way you should do. You put the principles in them, but still they go and do it. Well, 
Big, big things. All right. Now, you know, one of the things there, though, is that when you, when you look at that situation and you look at the other son and you look at the attitude of the father, one of the things I've learned by doing some DVDs this year is that, yeah, there was an issue with the father there because the father never really affirmed the children. He didn't really have that great a relationship. He probably would taught them, this is what the Bible said, this is the word, this is that, and then, but he didn't develop a relationship which was an, an intimate relationship where the sons and the father understood each other at a different level. Now, what I've had to do this year is shortly after Pastor Karen and Peter left is I actually got some DVDs off them. One was on courtship, they're on sale. One was on courtship and one was on discipline. Now, the courtship one, I hated I absolutely hated it because what it was doing was exposing what a woman's heart's all about. And I hated that. Why did I hate it? Because it convicted me how wrong I was. And it actually convicted me what a pile of scuffers blokes are, really, to be honest. Because we'd absolutely have no idea what goes on in the heart of a woman. We have no idea. I've got to be dead honest. And I look around me now and I look at the landscape of most men and I go, I am ashamed. I hang my head. This stiff upper lip British attitude. What a load of tripe, eh? It is absolutely a load of rubbish. Would I go as far as what they're doing in courtship? Well, actually, yes, I would. Let's be blunt. I would. But would we get away with it? No. Why? Because society and the way that people have been brought up won't allow us to. And they'd think it was something really weird and wacky. But is it the safest way to protect the heart of a woman and the heart of a man? Absolutely. But what that was doing was showing me how far apart from where the model was, was my heart. Or the model should be, was my heart. All right? That's what it is. And that's, that's, you know, it's just one of the areas, I think, over time, over time, that has caused lots of these compromises, right? Men have become more distant from the children, and so women have become softer. So what you get is a situation where men have not been as, as if you were intimate with the children. They've kind of like said, well, you're 14 now, you're off on your own. I can, I know I was tempted to do that. So what do women do? Women compensate by being softer. So what you get is you need men to men up and actually admit the emotional side of life and women to toughen up and admit that there has to be a bit more discipline and structure. Right? That's, that's like Duffield's world to the wise. You know, it's like take it or leave it, but that's kind of where it goes. So... <laughs> But let's, let's give this some context. That's, that's like, that's a nirvana position of, of where men and women should be. And, you know, pr- not prophetically. This isn't even prophetic. We're going to have to get there. Because if we're going to stop Europe from falling, we're going to have to give the world a bit more than what they've got now. So this challenge isn't just, you know, this is, this is Duffield being a little bit of a flyby. This, do- this challenge is for every one of us, including myself, right? Because if we don't get it right, we'll never get it right out there. Why did England, why did Britain champion the, heart, the, the Second World War? Why? Because we had the heart of a lion. We were the one people that could see right from wrong. That's the challenge before us. That's why we need the power of one. We have to have the heart of the Father. If we don't have the heart of the Father, we don't see it. And we don't be able to champion it outside. We all fall. Okay? But let's put some context on this. This is the problem of two. When, I was, when we were younger, and the kids were growing up, and you're in a house, and you can't afford the bills, and you need money, and then all of a sudden, almost unlimited overtime appears, what do you do? Well, I know what I did. I took it. I was working 12-hour shifts, six days a week, occasional seven days a week. And what did I do? I kind of, like, knew the scriptures, yeah? Knew about all this stuff about God. This is, like, a long time ago. This is 25 years ago. But the thing was, I still did it. I still took the money. Because the boys, because what I'd found is that I'd found a group of guys that I was working with that were the boys. And the boys knew how to get all this overtime. And so the boys said, hey, Andy, come on. We'll take you into our ways. We'll show you the ways of the world. So I went. Willingly. 
Now, did I? And then the giveaway was to try to do a deal with God. There's the there's a key straight away. Oh God, I'll uh, I'll tithe. I'll, t- I'll I'll try and tithe. I think what I actually said. I'll try and tithe. I'll 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 I'll, uh, I'll read me word more. I'll, I'll I'll pray more. No, come on. Did I do any of that? No, did I? What did I do? Nearly lost my wife and family is what I did because I spent that much time working and doing stupid things, earning money. Did the money really benefit us? No, not really. The truth was, though, why did I do it? I did it so that I could actually be a good provider for my family. Did I do it to spit in the eye of God, as it were? Or did I do it consciously, compromising? Well, part of it, yeah. I did kind of know, but was God that important to me at that time? No, he wasn't. I've got to be honest, I've been there, been burnt out, had my heart broken, had, you know, had my tail feathers burnt. I wasn't going to get that involved. So I made that choice. Wrong. Now, I'll give you another example here. This is a much, much different one and very personal to me. When my mum was dying, right, when she actually died, the night she died was the worst night of my life. Right? Well, you can say, well, of course. It's your mum. Well, yeah, this is where it gets a bit odd. Because I knew she was going to die. Right? And I'd, I'd, you know, a couple of months before, I'd, I'd gone before the Lord. And I remember this very clearly, right? I was away from work. And I'd, there was a road outside the hotel, which was dead straight. It was absolutely, it was, it was uncannily straight. And I walked up and down this thing for hours, interceding, trying to say, Lord, you know, you know, can we just keep her going a bit? Can we, Lord, if it's your will? And I knew that he was going to take her. So I wept. Because I grieved for the loss of my mother then. Bit weird. Duffield style this. Right? So that's why I'm saying this is unique. You may have had something similar, different. But this is the way I did it. But on the night she died, I went home after she'd passed away and I wept again. Well, yeah, that's normal. No, I wept because of the way she died. It was awful. It wasn't nice. I'm not going to tell you any details. But when we have the fa- you know, the, this phrase, fight to the death. Yeah. yeah, I understand that phrase. And so in my grief and in my desire to take care of this pain, I was very, very happy in my mind to go back to the hospital and sue the pants off them. Because clearly, the drop, there was drops off. There were, there were mistakes. At best, there was carelessness. At worst, there was absolute abject negligence. And it was an easy thing to do, because my cousin, who worked in the hospital, said, what do you mean they didn't do this type of thing? So you know when you know when you know that something's gone wrong. But I didn't. I didn't. God gave us the peace on it, and he said, let it go. And for once in my life, I listened. So I got that one right. So the first one I got completely wrong. This one I kind of got right, but I didn't know why I got right. I, I didn't know why I didn't do anything. I just knew, keep your peace. And I always, if it's my choice, I always go to that scripture that says, vengeance is mine. Now, if it's something that is a broken contract, you know, I'll go for it, same as anybody else will go for it. On this issue... It was not going to bring my mum back. Fair enough. I'll let it go. And Lord, you take care of anything else. It was injustice. But I'll let it go. All right. So these are the sorts of things that happen, though, isn't it? In life. We just, we just don't know. We just don't know what's going to happen from one day to another. And you guys will all have similar experiences. All right? So I'm only talking about my experiences... Not anybody else's. But this is what happens. This is how I see it sometimes in life is that, you know, you're going along quite happily and all of a sudden, in the flesh, say, you get mugged and you get stabbed. You get stabbed. It's a blow to the heart. Is there a quick fix? No. So one minute you're walking along, the next minute you're dying. You feel like you're dying. You're physically dying. Is there anything that you can do? No. There's no shortcuts to that. There's no guarantee it's going to get healed, is there? It's happened. You're in it. You can't do anything about it. You can't sweep it under the carpet. 
And it's the same in the spirit. What I'm talking about is our physical heart, our physical bodies. But emotion, in spiritual terms, in emotional terms, that's what happens. All of, along, all of a sudden, you're going along, bang. Within the space of five minutes, your life's never the same again. Never the same again. Is there any, is there hope and healing? Yes. That's the difference. When someone's stabbed, it's a dreadful thing to be stabbed. There is no guarantees of anything. When you feel like you've been stabbed in the heart, spiritually and emotionally, in Christ, yes. Through obedience, and more importantly, through trust. It's the only way. But is there a quick fix? No. It's the same. That's the same. Your heart has been wounded. Your heart's been broken. Your heart's been divided. Your heart's been sliced into little pieces. How do you put it back together again? Well, sometimes, you know, we're human, aren't we? Which is what we've been saying. We are human. We're vessels of flesh trying to deal with the flesh and the spirit. So what we try and do sometimes is, you know, because of the pressure and the pain, you just want that pain to go away. What you do is you get, you get the carpet of life and you try and sweep it underneath, don't you? Look, if I get this mess on the floor and sweep it under that carpet, it'll go away. I won't see it. And, and everything can go back to the way it was. And it'll never have happened. And we'll never talk about this ever again. How many times have we got that in our, in, in our families? How many times have we got, you know, you wake up one day to realize, hang on a minute, she must have been pregnant three months before she got married. What's that all about? And you know, all these things, all these things that you've, tra- you've sort of like looked upon as like, well, hang on a minute, these virtues of Victorian society and these virtues of people going back, and this could be your mum and dad, this could be your aunties and uncles and all the rest of it. I know for a start, in our family, it was much more open. Three of my cousins got married because they had to do. And then you look at the previous generation, you go, well, it'd be an egg. You know, you do the old genealogy thing. When did they get married? When were they born? Hang on a minute, one man is the other. There's a bit of going on here. And then you find out, actually, some of them weren't even properly old enough to get married. This is probably why they didn't get married in time. And so you realize all these things have been going on for generations, but they've been swept under the carpet. Does it make it right? No. Is that issue still there? If that was in your life and you've tried to sweep it under the carpet, you know what happens, I've found, is you trip over that thing in the carpet. So you may not be able to see it, but you're going to trip over it. And in spiritual terms, there's your compromise right there. You try and walk on the path of righteousness, stumble. If you're walking in the way of God, then the Holy Spirit clears those rocks away. That's what it says in the Word. But when you're walking on your own, you've made that decision, you've made that compromise. Oops. And if you make too many of them, there's going to be more lumps than carpet, let's be dead honest. You ain't going to go anywhere, are you? Or we react too fast. Here's another one. So we try and get rid of it as if it's never happened. Or the other one is, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut that person off. I'm going to have my five minutes of vengeance. I'm going to say everything I've ever wanted to say about that person. Because I think you wear the wrong colour shirts. And I don't like your body odour. And that's it. I'm never going to talk to you again. You've just cut them out of your life completely. Does that put it right? Well, it might make you feel better. But does it put it right between you and your father permanently? Your spiritual father, your heavenly father? Nope. It's still there. It's still an issue. Well, if you've... You know, I'm not talking about those situations, for example, where, you know, I've got family that I've never not seen for about 20 years. I, they've not tried to ring me and I've not tried to ring them. Half the time, I don't even have the phone numbers, so... Is that what I'm talking about? No, not really. Because, you know, I think if the Lord wanted me to have contacted my cousins that are in Spain or wherever they happen to are, I probably, you know, he would have spoke to me. And by now, I would have done that. It's not. It's just, that's, that's what it is. To have, a, to, have, to, to have relations, you have to have a relationship. And if they're not interested in it, then, and you've gone that extra mile, you've tried to keep it going, and they're not interested, fair enough. Let it go. So, but the real price of compromise is what I was saying before when we were with David. If you keep on compromising and never put it right, you will always be at an angle to God. You will never be face to face. 
you will always be kind of stood like this. And you'll only ever get a glimpse of the power and the glory. You'll only ever get a glimpse of what he really wants from you. You'll only ever see him in part. Not as the one. Because you're not one. You're split. You're divided. Now here's another way of looking at this. You remember the parable of the sower and the seeds? Yeah? Alright. What did he do? He sowed seed. But he sowed seed at the right time in the right place for the right purpose. And what happens sometimes is if you think about our emotional hearts, there's only so much seed we've got in a way, isn't there? Love seems to be everlasting, but if you don't put it in the right place, guess what? It's going to come back, you're not going to, and you don't get anything back over time. You, get, you become a dried up husk, don't you? And you see people like that and you say, oh, it just looks like a dried up husk. That could well be people who have sowed their seed in the wrong areas at the wrong time. Do you sow in the middle of a storm? No. Do you sow in the middle of winter? Well, only if it's that type of crop. So you have to be careful how you, you protect your heart. You've got seed. Seed's the most important legacy we've got. If you spend that seed wrong, you don't get a harvest back. Where are you going to go? You've got no seed left. So if you make decisions in your life... And you'd say, that's the decision I'm going to do, even though I know it's a bit of a compromise. It's going to be like, it's on the edges. He's going to put the seed where the rocks are. So it'll come up, so it'll look like it's worked, and then they're going to die. And you're either going to have to transplant them, or you're going to have to spend so much time taking them weeds out, that it would have been easy to have planted it in the rich soil in the first place, and done what our Father in Heaven wanted us to do, rather than go to the edges. Don't, don't, don't waste your seed. Because whatever we give him, he gives back, doesn't he? So if you give him your best and you put it in where he tells you to put it, guess what? You're going to get the best return. If you don't, you're going to compromise it. So how do we kind of make amends here? If you're like us and you've got a lumber room or you've got loads of rooms in your house which sometimes you would rather visitors not go in, it's probably because they're full of all the stuff that was in the front room ten minutes ago. Right? Me and Shirls are not gods and goddesses of domesticity. We are very open about this. It's not imp- stuff isn't important, that, in, to be honest. But with, let's be honest, we have too much stuff. And that's why a couple of three years ago, we tried to detox the whole house, starting with the loft and starting with like two skips later. It was kind of like one of those. Because it's right to keep things under control. But if you think about it, in in the emotional rooms of your house, I'll bet there's a couple of doors where you won't let God in. Because they've probably got a do not open. And all that happens is when something else goes wrong, you'll quickly unlock it, open it and throw something in and close it again. You don't really want to know inside because it's in the too hard to do box. Sorting out a house, like when, when Shaw's mum passed away, we had to sort the house out. It took years. It felt like years anyway. Because it like took, it was like the TARDIS. You went into the room under the, under the stairs and it took you like a week just to pull the stuff out. And it was all, it wasn't rubbish. It was just all... It was just stuff. There was loads of it. It really was loads of it. So how do you get rid of this? How do you start? Well, the first thing you do, what I said before, is you make a decision. You make a decision that you're going to be open with him. You open the dialogue and say, Lord, I'm not wishing anything on me, but I'll make the decision that whatever you convict me to do, I'll do. This isn't a witch hunt. This isn't like I'm going to go into a six months of prayer and fasting and I'm going to cleanse my heart because I think I'm a, a real lousy person. It's not to do with that. This isn't that season, by the way. We're not doing that. This is, a, this is kind of a lifestyle thing, is what I said. You make a decision to be open to him. Because what at the, ba- the basic bottom line is that it says in Scripture in, in John 15, 4, it says, he who abides in me, I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide in him, trust him. Because you see, the issue is, is that all this conflict, all this stuff 
in our hearts has already been taken care of. Do you not think he knows this? Do you not think he sees all the problems that we've got? Of course he does. Of course he does. And he actually perfectly answers this in Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who made both groups, both parts of your heart, into one. And broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. You don't need more than one room in your house. You don't need more than one door. Okay? This is what this scripture is saying. And it goes on to say, By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the enmity. Okay? That's the disagreement between us and God. Or the conviction. Or the, the, the disagreement that we have with other people. He broke that down. And you should work so that it's worthy in your heart. You're clean. So that in himself he might make the two into one new man. Thus establishing peace. And might reconcile them both into one body. To God through the cross. By having put to death the enmity. So there is the solution. That is the long term solution. Is the issue has been dealt with. You don't even have to think about it. Through the blood of Christ. Dealt with. There's no barrier. There's nothing stopping us from being before him in perfect openness. It's there. It's clear. So what do we have to do? Abide in him. The first thing you have to do. Be open. Stay in his presence. Abide in him. If you have any issues like this, he will convict you of them. You don't go looking for them, for goodness sake. But you do it when he tells you that there is an issue I'd like you to think about. Then you go before him. Then you have to say, I'm going to trust him. If he's raised this issue, it's for a reason. It says in scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. How do you prepare yourself? So those are the two things that you need to be aware of that you can consciously do. What you can also consciously do is Ephesians 6, develop your breastplate. Of righteousness. Develop that. As pastor says, keep short term. Don't let things get out of hand. When these things come in, these dreadful, dreadful things happen to you, don't react immediately. Don't react. I mean, there's one thing about, you know, when it's a, when it's a heart-rending, a tragedy, that's, that's you know, you're going you're gonna to be in so much shock, you can hardly make any sort of decisions, let's be honest. But when it's something where it's an issue and you've got, and it's an injustice, as you say, an injustice, or where it's a thing of vengeance and you've been, where somebody's sort of put you down or tried to stamp on you, then you want to immediately rise up and actually go for them. I do. In past, I mean, that's maybe one of my biggest weaknesses, is that I, I will always be too quick, you know, the flight or fight. I'd fight first before there's even a reason to fight, to be perfectly honest. But that's the thing not to do, is not to react. But to take time and don't make decisions alone. That's why these people that we've been talking about, these people that we are accountable to, that's what they're for. Share with somebody who is older and wiser. Somebody who is definitely one that you can trust to share your heart with. Because your emotions will be wasted. That's what the problem is. Is that the big problem is you could be doing something for the right reasons, but in actual fact they'll go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You may be looking at both sides of this, but think about it this way. Think about it that way. And you go, didn't think of that. Don't make these decisions on your own. Sometimes you feel as if you're on your own, but you're not, are you? And if you haven't got anybody that you're accountable to, then come and talk to somebody that you trust. That's the, that's the main thing. With your heart. So carefully in the right soil at the right time. Don't waste it. Don't waste that seed that you've got. You've only got so much. Now God may give you more, but you've only got so much seed. Make it go, make it, make it count. When you're going to invest in something, if you're going to take new situations on into your life, if you're going to make a decision to, I don't know, it, it's one of those difficult ones you can't always put a, put a phrase around, but if you're making a decision... That's, a, that's an art that you're going to take. Right, I'm going to kind of spiritually adopt somebody. 
Right? One of the things that the Lord said to me when I came back from SOP one time was, I want you to adopt spiritually in your heart these people. In other words, I was to nurture them, to bless them, to help them. Now, do those people always come good? No. But that's not my issue. That's where he told me to put the seed in my heart. So I did. When things happen, don't be too in a hurry to sow the seed of your heart. Consider it. Because it could be weeds down the way that you don't want. Quick fixes cost more time. That's, the big, that's one of the biggies. That's the benefit you'll get from considering before God. Considering it with people of wisdom. And considering the seed of your heart. Don't think of the quick fixes. Try and put his heart first. It's the weirdest thing to do, isn't it? It sounds daft. I'm in pain, but I've got to think of the Father. That's crazy. That's daft. That's mad. But that's exactly what it says. In his ways. Acknowledge his ways. Right? So there we are. Now, we're just about done. I'm going to tell you now the end of my mum's story. I didn't ask for this. I never asked. When, when the Lord said, just let it go, I let it go. I never try never to ask that dreadful word, why? Right? I never try and ask that word. Because I've spent too many years asking about why this? Why did I get born without a dad? Why have I got no brothers and sisters? Why does it? Don't do it. Forget it. Early this year, on the Man Up course, Pastor was talking about, if we were to get a letter from our dad, what would we like it to say? I haven't got a dad. Bit of an irrelevant question. But when I was actually thinking about this, when I was praying about, Lord, I wonder if, or what happens? What he, he, he actually turned around, and I've never known him do this. He did a number on me. And what he said was this. He said, the thing with your mum was this. is She prayed. Her heart was so strongly towards you and towards me is that she didn't want one second of consciousness less. She wanted to spend every waking second of her life looking at you. Because she said, because he said, you are the apple of his heart, of her heart. And she did everything for you. So I could not dishonor that prayer. So the fight she had was the fight she chose. And he said, and that was it. So where'd you go with that? You go in a big puddle. If you're me, you go in a big puddle. Because that was what she was like. She was a fighter. She did fight. And she actually said, I'd never thought it would be so hard to die. That's typical of my mother. She was always quite objective about things. And that was the truth. So that was a lesson I learned. That sometimes things are not always as they seem. But to go with his ways. Can we just stand? We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.